Today's passage is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll be reading from verse 2 to 16. Let us read together from verse 2. Let's begin. Now I command you, because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions, even as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head cover dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncover dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut up her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. Now all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgraceful for him? For it is woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I know that uh, today's passage is a little uh, sensitive uh, issue about uh, relationship between husband and wife and also women uh, covering their head uh, as they uh, pray in public. Um, but actually, the essence of the entire chapter, it talks about really uh, the order uh, in relationship. So with a perspective, today's title is called Ordering Our Relationship. So dear congregation members, we have to recognize that in every aspect of our relationship, uh, there is an order. Even if uh, you have a most intimate relationship uh, and very close friendship, uh, there has to be a mutual respect and order as well. In your marriage relationship, uh, dating relationship, or even uh, in your friendship, uh, you have to respect one another through this. So that uh, when there is very important aspect or important decision making, you need to really uh, respect that order and really share with your husband, your wife, or your loved one, your children, your parents. And so that together as a community, we discern and we see the will of God together as a community. Uh, I mean, even in every culture, uh, there's order. Uh, there's uh, order that we respect. Uh, for example, in our 
Korean congregation, uh, the first generation, whenever they eat, it's always about elderly people first. Uh, it's very interesting because once a year we'll have entire church seniors gathering together. And uh, 65 and over, uh, once a year there's a banquet. And uh, we have a lot of seniors. In fact, about uh, three, 400 seniors, they gather together. And, uh, you know, it's a packed, you know, cafeteria. And then when they, when they eat, you have to wait for your turn by the age. So they call like a 90 plus. So they go, and then 80 plus, and then go 70 first. And then uh, some of the, our elders, acting elders who are there, you know, with the white hair, you know, but they have to wait until the last and of course, you know, I'm the last, I'm the one of the youngest, you know, during that meeting. Uh, so we have to wait, and it's very funny, and yet it's godly. You know, it's really edifying, respecting elders first. On the flip side, you know, whenever we gather together, uh, when our congregation meet together, they ne- we never wait for older people. You know, we always have a children first. So they just go, and they just grab their food, and then they just go and start eating. And then ladies first. And then we have usually husband uh, waiting. So that's a culture uh, difference. A few years ago, uh, I was invited to the Nan family, the 70-year-old, uh, 70-year birthday celebration. Uh, I was so privileged to be invited to Nan family in Malton area. And so many extended family, they gathered together to celebrate a 70th birthday. And it was a shocking because uh, the grandpa, you know, he's been cooking Actually, all day. You know, can you imagine your grandpa cooking or husband, you know, uh, just preparing meal for uh, entire extended family all day. And then when food was ready, we had a service and all the kids and everyone gathered together. We worshiped together. It was time to eat. And we think that birthday person, you know, should eat first. But then grandpa was uh, standing in the front. And then actually all the children will come together. And one by one, grandfather will be feeding them. I was like, wow. That was their culture. I was like, wow, that's something that maybe we need to learn. And we need to, you know, take it to our culture. And yet, you know what, I tried. And then, you know, sometimes it's very, very difficult to break uh, such culture. And every culture has, you know, something that is wonderful. Uh, Also, every culture has something that is counter-gospel as well. And we have to respect, uh, you know, some of the cultures and orders as well. Uh, You know, some of the thing is absolutely critical with the gospel. And that's something that we cannot compromise. But on the other hand, there is something that is beautiful, that is not necessarily, uh, you know, Christ-centered, and yet respecting one another. And we have to recognize that as well. Uh, Two weeks ago, I was in Korea uh, through our Presbytery event, and I was uh, invited to speak at uh, one of the traditional churches in uh, Korea. And that church, unlike our church, has a tradition and history, over 70 years old uh, church. And on Sunday, usually I wear like, you know, suit. I wear suit and I mean, you know, other associate pastors or other uh, pastors, they may not even wear a suit. But on Sunday, at church, I wear a suit. And when I was invited to speak, I went there, and then I just wore a suit like this, standard suit. And then I just walked into church, and about five, ten minutes before the first service began, the entire church and the pastor and elders, they were in panic. Why? Because I was not wearing gown. 
And at that church, um, pastor, when they officiate or preside or even uh, pray, elders pray, they have to wear gown. And there I was, you know, appearing to church on Sunday, just wearing suit. And uh, 10 minutes before, uh, the senior pastor found out that guest speaker was not wearing gown. So he took up gown for the first time. And then he had to call elder who brought gown. Please don't wear gown today when you go to, you know, public prayer. So elders had to put down his gown. So afterwards, he was saying, Pastor Jason, thank you so much. Because of you, you know, I was able to go up without wearing gown today. I was like, oh, really? How long have you been serving here as a senior pastor? Oh, I've been serving here for 10 years. Why don't you just take it off if you really like it? You know, don't want to wear a gown. Then you just wear a suit and then you just preach. But he said, I can't. You know, the first senior pastor, he never wore suit. Second senior pastor, never wore suit. Third senior pastor and fourth senior pastor, I'm the fifth one, and I can never, you know, do that. And today it was a very exceptional case because of you. You know, they had order, you know, they had the tradition. And I couldn't really disrespect, I, I felt like, you know, I'm so sorry. I should have asked, you know, what was the dress code and, and so on. And certain culture, certain church, certain family, certain congregation has its own order and, um, you know, respect. Uh, we need to respect that. Um, today, uh, Paul talks about the order of worship and order how to go about exercising our spiritual gifting. And why does Paul talk about such order? And what is the difference between biblical order and also cultural order? And why is it really necessary for us, especially for those of us who live in 21st century, postmodern culture where, you know what, freestyle goes everywhere. You know, we can be just free in the Lord, that we can do whatever we want as much as we are empowered by God. And even, even going to church, you know, we can be free. You know, at times uh, we have congregation members. One Sunday you appear to Mississauga. Next Sunday you go to Uptown. The following week you go to Downtown. I mean, and we all belong to one another, one church. Who cares, you know, whether we go to like a Mississauga Starbucks or a North York Starbucks, whether we go to Mississauga Good Life or North York Good Life. What's wrong, you know, with us going to Mississauga New Hope one Sunday and going to Uptown and Downtown one Sunday? Why is it necessary? And all these questions that we may uh, have to one another. But today, as we cover this passage, there are some of the important things, the principles that we can apply uh, to one another, even in our family, in our church community. The first, what God is saying from today's scripture is that God is God of order. So actually, the order comes from God. God is the one who brings the order in chaos. So Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. So it was chaos in the state of disorder. So what creation is all about is bringing God's order and creation, rearranging according to God's truth and God's standard. Even God that we worship, triune God, the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're one. They're united. And yet, even in their equality, 
they have submission and respect. And we know that Son of God, Jesus Christ, even though that He was God Himself, He gave full authority and recognizing, respecting, and submitting under the will of His Father. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 to 8 says, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Paul is pointing out in the same way that there's a God, there's a Christ, but also there's church. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 23 says, And you are Christ, and Christ is God. The Christ authority belongs to God, and the authority of church community belongs to Christ. There's clear order. And among church, among brothers and sisters, it is very clear that Paul is not talking about relationship between man and woman. I remember when we were in youth group, whenever we have a joint youth group, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 always pops out, like some of the brothers, like pointing this passage to sisters and, you know, see, you know, men are superior. You know, that's wrong understanding of Scripture. Paul is not talking about relationship between man and woman, but he's talking about husband and wife. He's clearly talking about the spiritual leadership of household in this passage. And even in church, as we come before the Lord, there's the order when it comes to authority. There's order when we worship God that is not free for all, that we do whatever we want, but Holy Spirit brings this order to focus and to glorify God together as a community. So as a sign of that, uh, Paul is saying to wives to cover their head when they come to public worship, especially when they pray, when they prophesy. And this is something that we have to understand the cultural context because I don't see anyone wearing or covering your head today. You know, can you imagine if we follow this literally, either you cover your head or shave. But why is it so important in this passage is that we have to understand the background of Corinth where a lot of sisters or a lot of women, before they became to um, Christ, they were uh, really practicing sexual immorality, free lifestyle, so that the women who were respecting their husband and having healthy, godly marriage they were able to express this as covering their head, even as their cultural practice. But people who didn't do that, practicing sexual immorality, uh, people who didn't have a such healthy relationship, they were just you know, doing whatever they want, freestyle, whatever they want to wear. But after they became Christian, they were coming into church, and then they were doing exactly the same practice even inside of the church by saying that, you know what, we're free in the gospel. 
Christ has set us free. Therefore, we get to wear whatever we want, and we get to have what, uh, you know, doesn't matter what kind of hairstyle that we want to have. Thus, they were bringing even inside the church and creating tension, confusion, conflict, disorder in the practice of community and how they live and worship God together with one another. So when it comes to truth, we have to understand, um, you know, there is absolute uh, biblical eternal truth. For example, the Christ is the only way for our salvation. Inerrancy of the scripture. That God has intended man and woman to get married. And these are eternal, fundamental, the truth. But when it comes to covering your head, this is more of a cultural application where we have to recognize the truth of God and apply accordingly. Like I said, if this is unchanging truth of God, you have to cover your head when you come to church. Even when we have ordained deacons who are praying, you need to cover your head. But we don't do that. I remember when I was in college group, our pastor was a fundamental background, and he said, you know what, literally, we need to do this. And I remember the entire month, all the sisters were covering something during their Sunday worship. It was very awkward, weird, and they stopped doing that. That doesn't mean that they were compromising the truth of God. Absolutely not. But how does it apply even in our church, 21st century? What Paul is saying is that, you know, there is a order, and as we respect and as we submit to authority of the scripture we also need to recognize that our body is not just about ourselves it's not something that we do whatever we want but we have to really edify our household edify our community in order to build up one another to grow together in church community as well again uh, bible does not limit women to pray or prophesize. In today's passage, clearly say, woman, when you pray or when you prophesy, cover your head, but it doesn't say you should not be praying, you should not be prophesying. But when you exercise your gift, please respect the community. That's what it's saying. You know, some people are saying, you know, see, you know, there's a difference between that women should not be exercising their spiritual gift now, we're in a denomination where we even ordain uh, sisters when they're called by God. And we have a woman pastors in our church. For example, Pastor Susan, who's in charge of education department. We have a Pastor O, who's doing family life ministry. It is so wonderful because their husband, they support. As much as they support, when they go home, the husband still are called to lead the household spiritually. Though we exercise our calling, our gifting, we have to recognize that the husband needs to really step up and to exercise spiritual authority and leadership in their household in order to lead and minister their family in a healthy and godly way. And I truly believe empowerment of women based on their calling and gifting, which we need. And today, our sisters are so educated, well-trained, and Bible, in a way, is revolutionary because until then, you know, Bible didn't talk about women. 
And there was no space for a woman to even serve or exercise in gifting. But Paul is revolutionary in a way that, you know what, men, you need to respect women. Not only the women came, uh, women are not independent of men, but also in, on the other hand, the men are not independent of women. But when such order is missing, that we experience chaos in our relationship. Think about your family. Is there such spiritual order and authority in your family? How do you even discern the will of God together in your family? How do you communicate with one another? Is there mutual respect? In so many families, the reason why there is a chaos is because no one's taking spiritual leadership and authority and there's no order. No one to initiate. No one to step up. No one to take responsibility of household. And our children are not learning anything from such family and there's such a disorder in family and when they go outside of the family in school, same thing. And as we talked about, even community, uh, and some of the young people are saying, well, you know, who cares whether we come to Mississauga, uptown, downtown, is one, con- one community. It is very difficult because once you do that, we have no idea whether you're sick, whether you're missing church, whether you need spiritual care and nurture and discipline and discipleship. Can you imagine, like, you know, you're living together with your extended family in Toronto and my daughter is, like, not showing up today. I was like, oh, I slept in auntie's house. And tomorrow, like, I slept at grandpa's house. But I have no idea where she is at. There is no accountability and chaos. And we want to be cared, we want to be nurtured, we want to be accountable to one another, and yet we are the one actually breaking that in the name of freedom through the gospel. In the same way, the church community, whether we worship, there has to be respect and there's the order, something that we have to restore in our every community, every relationship in our life. I think God is challenging our husbands to take spiritual leadership and authority. I think God is calling leaders of the church to take such spiritual responsibility as well. So again, this is not a discrimination, but it's about mutually respecting one another. And we need to be sensitive to one another as well. It's a personal story, and uh, it, it could be a cultural thing because, you know, when my wife and I, we got married about 23 years ago, uh, she had, like, the spiritual legacy through her grandparents. So she really loved her maiden name, Kim. Uh, and in the beginning, like, I wanted to just respect that, okay? So we got married, and then we went to California, and I was still using my last name as an NOH, but then she was using Kim. 
And then the problem began because uh, people started calling me Jason Kim. So I said, oh, no, 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 my name is not Jason Kim. I'm Jason No. And then there was a rumor that, oh, maybe they are not married. They are cohabitating. Like, no, we're not cohabitating. We are married. So we talked about it. And then, you know what? I think we need to, you know, talk about this. And I'm not saying that now, like, you need to force everyone to change your name and things like that. But sometimes with such tradition and such order, there's a reason why we do. But sometimes we react just so against and saying, you know what, that's discrimination. It happened about 12 years ago when we began uh, downtown ministry. Those of you who went to our downtown campus, uh, the stage is like really, really high. And the congregation members, uh, the seats are very low. And they're sitting like right in front of the stage. And what happened was that some of the sisters were wearing like short mini skirt. And they were standing right in front of the brothers and praising or even sitting like this on a keyboard. And then uh, playing instrument. And some of the guys were saying, you know what, I think we need to be more considerate for one another. So they were making suggestions. Can we do something about it? Can leaders do something about it? So we, as a leaders, we talked about it. Okay, you know what, I think that's really reasonable. Uh, when you are standing in public or when you're standing at the front to lead praise or pray, would you be able to wear a you know, skirt like you know, the knees and covering or wearing pants? So we thought, that's a great idea. Unanimously, everyone was in full agreement. And we communicated to praise team. The following week, sisters were so upset. That's discrimination. Why don't you mention about brothers wearing? Uh, so we had to really talk about that. So we're living in this culture and day and age where we have our own cultural standard. And then sometimes when we look at biblical scripture, there's a reason why God is explaining and speaking to us in order to respect and to really thrive congregation members through mutual respect as well. What is the purpose behind? That is the second point. The purpose of the order is to see the kingdom of God thriving and expanding through synergy and power. It talks about harmony and peace and edification as well. Look at car engine. You know, car is moving so fast. The motor is working so fast. Although it looks like it is working spontaneously, although it seems like it is like freestyle, but there is an order of a motor working. When you violate the order of the motor working together, actually, it destroys the engine. There's an order, and through that order, repeating and going through and respecting the order and system and frame, it has a power and synergy. And that's what Paul is saying. As women exercising their spiritual gifting, they have to recognize that there is an order. And also church, as we exercise our gifting, there is an order as well. It's not to have hierarchical relationships. Bible is not talking about hierarchical relationship, who's superior, who's inferior. 
But in our many cultures, we understand such role as a hierarchical relationship. But it's never. For example, you know, some of the older uh, members, you know, we talked about having accountability. You know, when you have an important ministry, you know, please uh, let pastors know. And some of the elders and some of the deacons may feel like, oh, pastors are younger than me. Why do I have to report? You know, I've been in this church for 20, 30 years. Why do I have to report? But can you imagine at the airport, you're flying in, you're a pilot. You are experienced pilot for 30 plus years. But when you are coming into Pearson Airport, there are so many other airplanes that are coming in, and before you come and land, you need to report to the control tower. And the person who's working in control tower can be 30-year-old or even 25-year-old, inexperienced in life, and yet you have to report, I am coming in, and if the control tower is saying, you know what, can you wait five minutes? Can you just circle five minutes? Because there's another plane coming from that same route. Or we need to de-ice where you are landing. You have to listen to it. Otherwise, you know what, who are you to tell me that you are inexperienced, you are younger than me, I know what I do, I am like experience, I know what I'm going to do, and coming in and there's a collision, there's a conflict, there's a chaos. In the same way, exercising our spiritual gift, mutually respecting, this is what Eugene Peterson says in the message in today's passage. Listen to this. In a marriage relationship, there's authority from Christ to husband, and from husband to wife, the authority of Christ is the authority of God. Any man who speaks with God or about God in a way that shows a lack of respect for the authority of Christ dishonors Christ. In the same way, a wife who speaks with God in a way that shows a lack of respect for the authority of her husband dishonors her husband. Worse, she dishonors herself. So even though uh, the worldly standard that we may be more smart, more gifted, more equipped, it talks about such love, edification to respect so that we can build one another together. The last point that I want to share with you is we believe in transformation. And if you really think about it, transformation is all about reordering. The order that we, in which we live our lives, that is called priority. And the Bible controls our lives and begins to bring restoration and healing that the priority that we had based on our own evil desire or our pleasure, our own ambition, our own dream, it shifts and it brings reordering in our lives. So restoration is about reordering our individualism, reordering our private world, reordering our wrong, simple patterns. Unless we experience that reorder in our lives, we will never be transformed.
So as you read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you think that it's completely different. You know, first half of chapter talks about head covering and authority, and second half of the passage talks about communion. It's like, okay, you know, two random story. But yet there's a truth behind that when you bring your own to church community, it's not just free for all that you bring whatever you want and you consume. Such mentality and mindset will bring contention, conflict, division in the church. And that's what happened in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where the house churches, you know, they were confused with the Lord's Supper and love feast. So they were communing with one another, and yet as they were coming together as a big gathering, what happened was they were bringing their own food. And people who are materially or financially blessed, they will bring more things. And people who are least blessed financially, they will bring less. And the people have a mentality where, you know what, since I brought more, I get to consume more. And some people who couldn't bring, they couldn't even eat together. Not only the portion was an issue, but people were not even waiting for one another. And some of you think that, okay, you know, we don't do that during our communion. We wait for one another. We take communion together. What does it have to do with us? We're not talking about communion, but mindset and attitude behind communion. The problem that Paul was mentioning was that, you know what? It's not about you bring whatever you want and you consume and walk away. It applies in our lives because we come to church in the exactly same manner. You know what? Church is a place where I consume what I want. So I come and I get what I want. And church, if no longer meets my need and no longer meets my consuming desire, I can walk away anytime I want and I can go somewhere else and consume. I bring my own offering, so I demand. I've been serving my dedication, so I assume and I, I am entitled. When God has called our church community as a covenant community, like spiritual family, so church shopping and church hopping became almost like a trend and habit of our generation. And Paul is saying, if you're hungry, eat at home. If you need to be fulfilled, you don't get fulfilled outside. But when you come to church, you are not consuming. But communion, it's all about transformation from consuming to being consumed by God. That is the heart of communion. When you come to church, The proper church worship and community is that when you come, it's not you get what you want, but you come to be consumed by God and used by God. You surrender your lives and being shaped and molded by community of God. 
and such consumerism mindset and individualism have hurt our community. And I'm also guilty of that. And our leaders and our congregation members need to come to recognize this is not a place where we consume our dream, but this is a place where we let go of everything and being consumed by God. When there's a transformation, there's a reorder. Instead of I decide and then asking God to bless, the order changes. God, what is your will? I will let go my will. What is convenient for me? What is comfortable for me to Lord, even though it is challenging, it is sacrificing, and it is inconvenient, Lord, I want to wait and I want to follow your will. That's reordering our lives. So when you get married, that's what it is. It used to be you center, but then now you think of your spouse reordering. That's maturity. That's transformation. When you go to school, like we used to be everything about me, but we wait for our friends. We wait for their turn. Reordering our habit. That's maturity. We used to consume our own evil desire, and yet now we pursue holiness of God. That's reordering our lives. And I hope and pray that in our family, if there is any areas where the such harmonious order and respect and spiritual accountability has been somehow diminished or crumped, Holy Spirit will come, the word of the Lord will come and restore such order in our lives. So that in our family, there's a transformation. In our workplace, there's a transformation because the Lord is the owner, that we reorder the ownership. That every facet of our relationship and also in community, as we experience true accountability and maturity, and that's when we are able to build godly community where we belong and we thrive, we grow through community. So I hope and pray that we will be restored through God who brings a new order in our lives. Let's pray together.